This is a headgum podcast. Hey. Hey. It's Craig. It's Andrew. They say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. Or mm-hmm. is it? I don't know. Is it? You tell me. Well, I, it might be. Let's listen to this podcast that I'm going to tell you about. And we'll find out. If you're like us and you want to get to the bottom of this, you want to dive into messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I recommend checking out Missing Pages, an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous or infamous book figures. <laughs> On this week's episode, they say that being too online will mess with your head, and no one is more online than mega-influencer and would-be author Carolyn Calloway. Beth Ann follows obsessed superfans, betrayed friends, and abandoned book deals across the web and around the world. Missing Pages is worth the hype. Where else can you hear your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of NYC media elites telling the real story, unfit for print, and perfect for podcasting? Andrew, it's perfect for podcasting. That's cool. That's the medium that we like. We do like the medium of podcasting. So go Mm -hmm. ahead, find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. Turgid. Ew. <laughs> Solid. Mm-hmm. These are, the, this is, <laughs> are you describing, what are you describing? Uh, hard to the touch. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's pretty horny. Uh, mm, um, who, uh, <laughs> unwavering. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Back on track. Uh, the password is, um, like a, like a, brick no mm-hmm. yeah a brick is listen i'm talking pretty firm i mean <laughs> <laughs> my convictions uh-huh no hmm. my mattress ah <laughs> yeah welcome to overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name's andrew and we're talking about Tell the what firm. you're doing yeah there you go i got there <laughs> been watching a lot of old episodes of password in the house these mm-hmm. days y'all are big game show heads big game show heads i love living in the 80s 30 40 years later uh-huh. um this book gives big 80s energy even though it it's like you know how like the 90s didn't start till nirvana you, you yeah know, right like well the, we're this is published in 1991 so we're still firmly in the in the 80s yes we're just like just past peak 80s people are starting to look around wonder what's next <laughs> Will I still be pushing my jacket sleeves up when I go mm-hmm. out to the to the bar? Mm-hmm. And is, is neon pink still the color I want? And if so, like what are my cuts and my sleeves yes. supposed to do? Like <laughs> is if I am getting if I have long hair, am I still doing like a cool fancy mullet with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Do my parents understand? And are there any songs that I can listen to about <laughs> Whether they do or not. I'm concerned that they don't, Andrew. This is our book <laughs> podcast. 
where each week one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it. Uh, this week we are covering August's Patron's Choice episode. Um, the prompt Andrew was... Airport Boys. Which we'll talk about a little bit more, I think, in a of second. Of course we will. Um, but our, some of our Patreon supporters selected the book The Firm by John Grisham, mm-hmm. uh, and I read it, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk a little bit about airport books. Sounds thrilling. Legal thrillers. We're going to talk about legal thrillers. Legally thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is bound to be thrilling. Literally, it's a book. Um, and I'm going to talk a little I We'll probably mention the fact that it was made into a movie. Uh, I have a lot about the movie except for the fact that it existed. And then in 2012, uh, John Grisham and others did a one season wonder TV show for NBC <laughs> yeah. called the firm yeah. uh, that was canceled. It was set, set 10 years after the events of the, the book and film. Yep. It had, um, it didn't run for very long. It had, um, Alma Garrett from Deadwood in it. Um, okay. Molly. Something? Sure. I don't remember. I think the movie had more star. Oh, power. we're going to talk. Yeah. We should just like look at the cast list and just call out some good folks in it. But anyway, mm-hmm. Andrew, have you read a Grisham before? I have not. I haven't. No. Um, I feel like I've read some of his contemporaries. Uh, the other folks on our poll, it was, it was Dean Koontz and it was Tom Clancy. You read some Koontz, huh? I right? read, I read some Koontz as a kid. My mom had a big shelf of Stephen King, John Saul and Dean Koontz books. Mm-hmm. I worked my way through some of those. Um, I've never read a Clancy. I imagine we'll come back to Clancy at some point. Probably mm-hmm. come back to Koontz. Who knows? But. I think we will. Like We just want really sort of pornographic writing. I, I haven't read <laughs> Tom Clancy, but I assume it's all just like really pornographically detailed writing about like guns and aircraft carriers and stuff yeah sure <laughs> i mad I, I bet some books ebb and flow with you know like you find your audience like who wants yeah, that you can't and you can't be a hundred percent that i just bet that's in there somewhere oh. and i and i like honest i i'm being a hundred percent honest with you when i tell you and the listeners that i have no interest in being corrected <laughs> Well, why don't you be 100% correct for a few minutes about John Grisham, to the best of your ability? John Grisham, the guy who was born in 1955? Yeah, John Ray Grisham and who, Jr. And who has had had a twisty, turny career before becoming a full-time writer after this book was published in 1991. Uh, he graduated from the University of Mississippi School of Law in 1981, a real law boy. Yeah. Uh, practiced law for about a decade and served in the Mississippi House of Representatives at around the same time, from 1983 to 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, sa- he says that one of the reasons he had time to write, because he was writing while he was serving in the Mississippi House of Representatives. While also know, being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't know a lot about, um, like, from state to state, it's a little bit different, like how much time you're job as a state legislator takes up like often they are just in session for limited times during the year um sometimes it's a part-time job sometimes it's a full-time job it's it's it kind of varies so i don't know that about mississippi um but he says one of the reasons he had time to write was that he backed the wrong horse for speaker of the mississippi house in 1987 (laughs) uh and the leader who did get elected didn't give him good committee assignments and so he had he spent his last couple terms just like doing a lot of writing and stuff (laughs) 
Uh, his first novel, A Time to Kill, was published in 1988. Um, it had been rejected by 28 publishers and was given a 5,000 copy run by an independent publisher. Didn't really make much of a mark. If, if you want to know how unsuccessful A Time to Kill was, the uh, February 1991 Kirkus review of the firm calls it a terrifically exciting and likable first novel oh man i watched an interview (laughs) with him (laughs) that's funny i watched an interview with him where he talked about uh time to kill coming like getting reissued in between the firm and his next book the pelican brief and so yeah it came out it was published in reissued in paperback and became a success based on success of of the the firm firm. yeah yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Um, Oh, I just I did just look it up. The Mississippi House of Representatives, according to the Mississippi Constitution, they must meet 125 days every four years and 90 days in other years. No telling if they meet more than that. But all right. So in like leap years, they're like, okay, guys, we really got to work hard. Time to buckle down and (laughs) And meet for, I don't know, like control some women's bodies, probably. Jeez. Yeah. Now, (laughs) I think his politics are are pretty good to my my understanding. Uh, I think he's on the board. I mean, we're we're not we're nonpartisan. Yeah. Fair enough. Sort of a free uh, forward party sort of show here. So don't politics are neither good nor bad. It's got to be a third way. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. I did. He is on the. I think he has at least served on, if not, is currently on the board of the Innocence Project. Which um, I will. It's an, we're a nonpartisan podcast, so they do work. I will not add mm-hmm. a superlative <laughs> adjective that would <laughs> uh, append any opinion on my part to it. It's but. just kind of manipulative of them to sort of put the the to use that word of of innocence yeah. on anybody who they represent yeah anyway yeah. Just, can't just, just call it yeah, the just, project i suppose i'm just trying to represent all sides oh, here God. in our nonpartisan book podcast <laughs> uh, so the firm published 1991 his second novel first bestseller it was the number one novel of 1991 on the new york times bestseller list yeah uh, a list of it spent it, it occupied for 47 weeks um, was adapted into the 1993 film. It starred, among other heavyweights, Tom Cruise, Gene Triplehorn, Gene Hackman, Holly Hunter, Gary Busey, Ed Harris, whose name I've written in my notes as Ed Harris, which would be <laughs> just a devastating review, Do you think I think, of his those performance. Are his, those are his initials. Do you think anyone ever met him and was like, eh? Eh. <laughs> Did you his see monogram- that? Um- he has monogram stuff, and it's always just like, whatever, man. Eh. Did you see that uh, uh, noted character actress Margot Martindale was in the film as well? Oh, character actress Margot Martindale was in it. And uh, Dean Norris was in it. <laughs> Always good to see him. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, that's a part of a, a real like powerhouse run from Cruz because um, he had done like Color of Money 86, Rain Man 88, Born of the Fourth of July 89, Days of Thunder in 90. Far and Away in 92. When was Top Gun? Oh, uh, 86 or something like that. Okay. So he, he's having his like bankable star period. This is, and, and it's like Oscar season for him too, because mm-hmm. he's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that's Fourth of July. Then he does Few Good Men. Then this thing happens. Then he turns into a vampire in 94. <laughs> uh, he, I think the first Mission Impossible is 96. Jeez. Um, 
and then after after War of the Worlds, he just turns into uh, well, he he jumps, the, he, yeah. he jumps on the he jumps on the he jumps on the and, and, and everything is over. <laughs> Everything's after different that. after that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He's a, he jumps on the couch and everybody learns how short he is in real life. And I feel like his career is really, his career is different after that. It's just, it's not worse. It's just different. It's just different. Um, he is in like the, the highest grossing movie ever now, apparently with the new Top Gun, but something I've like that. I've not seen that, but a complete, a, a, people who I would not Every expect walk to have of any life. opinion at all. Yeah. <laughs> loves this new Top Gun movie. Um, did you see the story about the, the film rights to this book I did, I did not see it so this book he writes he's writing the manuscript uh you know time to kill was not a huge success so they're they don't have buyers yet mm-hmm. and someone either like maybe in his agent's office or at a publishing house that he had sent the manuscript to like made a copy of it or something he gets a call from his manager or agent and they're like hey so um we sold the movie rights to the firm to Paramount for 600K. And mm-hmm. he's like, that's funny. We don't have a book deal yet. What are you doing? <laughs> and like somebody had gotten a hold of the script and then, or of the book and like got it to Paramount. And then they, I think they worked it out so that eventually like they got the book deal and then that like led to a, bu- a bidding war for the book deal or something. It's just mm-hmm. strange that it. Bef- without his knowledge it became a movie sort of first and i just love that it might have been because someone made some surreptitious copies which is like about 20 percent of this book <laughs> people making <laughs> copies when they shouldn't be making copies. making copies uh so from 1994 to the year 2000 sean grisham wrote the number one best-selling book of the year every year holy dang and he still you know he he still does this occasionally his streak did get broken in the early 2000s uh you know who beat him out in 2003 2004 think about it for a second um barack obama and uh, no um, though that's a good guess it's somebody we've read multiple times someone we've read multiple times and Stephen we have a king and then we have a deep and complicated relationship with his work and his protagonist and his protagonist, who has also been played by a prominent 90s movie actor. What is happening? I feel like I'm giving you You're giving too me many. so many clues because like I'm also stuck on Harry Potter. It's not Harry Potter. It's mm-hmm. not Lord of the Rings. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey. It's No. What other books have we read multiple of this guy? The last name is a color. Whoa. Yellow, blue, red, green, John Green, Hank Green, uh, nope, keep going. orange. This has been more fun green? than I thought it would be. Is no, it it's not green. Purple, it's absolutely Terry not. Purple. Uh, you're th- you're, the colors you're thinking of are too exciting. Oh, brown. Oh, damn brown. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Apple. I cracked the clue. <laughs> yeah, Da Vinci Code beat him in 2003, 2004. Oh, I, if I, John Grisham, you got to like take the L and just like take a nap when that happens. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, bud. It happened to a lot of people in the in the early 2000s. Oh, no. um, Grisham's early books were almost all legal thrillers and they still like, they're so lopsidedly legal thrillers that the list of his books on Wikipedia has like a little cross that it puts by the ones that aren't legal thrillers mm. <laughs> to distinguish them from the ones that are. 
um, his, but some of his later books, including, I think a painted house was about the rural American South more broadly. Okay. Um, he said in 2006 that it usually only takes him six months to write a book. He's the, uh, Bob Stein of, of 500 page <laughs> legal thrillers. Um, and he's still the cranking out novels at the rate of about one a year. Okay. Um, not counting, you know, the, he's also got some YA novels and some short stories. Most of his books are standalones there, though there are some series, including a, I think it's a four book series, uh, featuring the protagonist of the, of a time to kill. So oh. you know, he's gone back to his his first love a few okay. times. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's just, he just cranks them and they, they get pretty good reviews. They sell pretty well and he just is out there doing it. Yeah. He's a guy getting paid uh, to write works, books. Yeah. You mentioned the Pelican brief. I'd talked about the painted house, the chamber, the rainmaker. Uh, many of these have been adapted. Into I films, saw the so. film runaway jury on a date in high school. Mm-hmm. Ooh. How is that? Uh, that was my only date with that person and I don't think it was, you think it was that, <laughs> would you blame the movie or was it yeah, other factors I'm gonna blame the movie we were friends and I asked them on a date and they were kind enough to say yes uh, oh oh so you were doomed before you yeah it was not a great situation okay. <laughs> I got to see a, a weird John Cusack performance and a movie that billed itself as a showdown between uh, Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman and they were on screen for about two seconds. So what's the worst movie? Just like off the top of your head, it doesn't. You don't have to think about it for yep. long. But worst movie you've seen on a date off the top of your head? Oh, off the top of my head, I saw a lot of movies with my high school girlfriend. I'm trying to think of what the worst one was. Yeah, I mean the one, the first one that comes to mind for me is Star Trek Nemesis, which is the one that killed the franchise for like, oh, <laughs> like eight years. No, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what movies were out. It was. Mm-hmm. It, I I wish I I wish I had a good answer. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I mean, when uh, Susanna and I went to see uh, Coco, the Pixar movie, we saw it with my parents, and none of us were prepared for the like 25 minute Frozen short that preceded the movie. Oh Coco no! <laughs> you can Google this short. It was pretty controversial at the time, but that was that was. Probably the most uncomfortable I've been in a movie theater in the last decade or so. Mm, I don't have an answer. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that's fine. You didn't know Dan Brown. You don't know this. It's just not a good uh, time to put you on the spot. And I understand you've got a lot of stuff going on. It's not good podcasting for me to just sit here with a Google page that says movies in 2000s, which is what I've done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you wanted me to do a little bit of research on legal thrillers. It's, you know, it's, it, there is not a lot to, to talk about. Legal thrillers are a subgenre of, you know, like the crime and yeah, the criminal yeah. genre. Uh, they are notable for their focus on the criminal trial process and on lawyers um, and on stuff just generally happening inside the system instead of like the hard boiled fiction that we spend yep. a lot of time with where you're with some like loose cannon PI who gets results or yep, with, sure. uh, crime fiction that's happening like from the perspective of criminals, which I think we've also, we've mm-hmm. done a lot of, mm-hmm. um, to kill a mockingbird is actually considered sort of a pioneer uh. of this genre because of the, the courtroom scene yep. in it. Sure. Uh, but yeah, you get lots of, lots of lawyers, uh, 
One of my favorite comfort food legal thriller shows, uh, The Good Wife, is also a lot about oh. like the machinations at the law firm that yep. happen like in between cases. Let me tell you, the named partners at that law firm change all the time, and they've got somebody somewhere in that company who is always updating the desktop wallpapers on every computer <laughs> to be current with the name. <laughs> well, and that's impressive. Like that's either someone is going through and updating the desktop wallpapers manually, or they've trained their staff to actually use the new desktop wallpapers that get sent out via email. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they might also be, you know, sending them out via group policy. I think they're mostly windows computers. So oh, they, yeah. there would be ways for the it admins to, there's a little bit of talk from my it admins out there. <laughs> hey, both of you. Um, I will say this is not a yeah, this is not a thrillers. courtroom book. This is this mm-hmm. is most as you can tell from the title. It's about the law firm. Uh, it's yeah, really it's, focused in there. Yeah, that 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 is a common focus. I think even if you're thinking about like a um, like a Law and Order, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 those shows are mostly they they are not all in the courtroom. Usually, is like the first half is the investigative duo, and then the second half is is the lawyers and the courtroom stuff. But yeah, you don't you're not always in the courtroom usually you're building to the courtroom scene where like a witness gives dramatic testimony yeah or you know somebody gets caught in a lie and and breaks down and admits all their so like they're doled in a good legal thriller they're doled out sort of uh i was actually just reading a a piece about the uh the development of the she-hulk attorney at law yeah show and i i have no investment at all in any of the marvel stuff but But it kind of sounds interesting but the people who were writing who were writing it said originally it was like mostly in the courtroom and we realized that we had no idea how to write that and make it interesting (laughs) being in the courtroom the whole time so yeah because there's always that tension in this this also crops up like what is admissible what is like that's a big friction point and and often in law and order or something like that too it's like well we obtained this evidence but can we use it is mm-hmm. that testimony valid is this witness going to be torn apart so like the what information the reader or viewer has outside of the courtroom and then how that's going to affect it like some of that is again this is i don't even think we set foot in a courtroom in this book um, mm-hmm. It's alluded to, but they're it's mostly a tax law firm, sure. So they they mostly do settlements and then tax time. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting one of the ways that these varied from each other that's interesting is like who who did the, who in this system do they choose to send? Yeah, I think yeah. Usually, usually it is defense attorneys because you want to have. Sort of like a, a Perry Mason mm-hmm. thing going on where you're like defending the defenseless and, yeah. and standing up to the system and getting people justice. But you also get, you know, you get a lot of stuff from the prosecutor's point of view. That's your law and order. Especially if yeah. they're trying to chase like a, a criminal or somebody who did something. Yeah. So. Okay. Legal thrillers. Yeah. And then. <laughs> in conclusion, legal in conclusion, thrillers. In conclusion. Thank you. Uh, anything you want to talk about on airport books? Because that's where this whole. Well, I'm sure we would have gotten to Grisham at some point, but like somehow we came up with the idea for the airport boys and then well, we're sitting in your your living room yeah. and you're like, I'm going to put together these polls for yeah. the, the patrons, and, but I need you to help me with prompts and with <laughs> selections from within the prompts. Uh-huh. So I came up with airport boys, which is the kind of big beefy novels that you buy to read while you're waiting to board, while you're on your flight and while you're getting off your flight. Yeah. And this is... <laughs> 
there was a time in the in the before times where you couldn't have like your phone or your ebook out during like takeoff. What Remember, was, like they would. What were we doing for those few years? It's just like everybody just kind of shrugs and is like, I guess like wireless interference. I don't know. <laughs> uh, airport bookstores. So so a, a a asterisk at the beginning of this. Uh, a lot of this history is coming to us through this outfit called the Paradis Lagardère, okay. which, is a, which is a company that was founded in 1960 in Atlanta and now runs lots of airport retail. Um, the original company, Paradis, was bought by uh, the French company uh, Lagardère Group in 2015. Oh uh, but they run like every time you see like an NBC branded store with a bunch of books mm. or like Univision or yeah. like, today branded, like that's all the same one company. Huh. And then they also, I think they must franchise a lot of restaurants that end up in, in airports because I know like Dunkin' Donuts and, and Chick-fil-A and Cadoba and stuff is not like owned by this company, but they list all of these brands on their brands page, but they are just like giants of airport retail. Uh, so according to their website, the first bookstore at a train station is opened by Louis Hatchett of uh, Hatchett Publishing. Oh fame. yeah. Hatchett books. Sure. 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 Uh, in, uh, 19, in 1852. And then like sometime in the 1940s, uh, L magazine comes out and then nothing happens for a while. And then in 1960, the parodies company comes into existence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, one one interesting thing about these stores and about the experience of like buying and reading a book, you know, at the at the airport, um, all of these parodies stores operate something called the read and return program, where if you return any book to any of these stores within six months of buying it, you can get half your money back. Whoa. Um, and it's, you know, just encouraging people to to buy books at the last minute while they're waiting in the airport. Well, the GameStop uh, this actually of books was over here. Uh, Philly Mag highlighted this program at our local airport's Heritage Bookstore huh. oh, as yeah, part of its book. Best of Philly program in 2019. <laughs> they called it the 2019 Actually Decent Deal at the Airport. <laughs> so thank you, Philly Mag. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're just kind of, they're often, the, the books that we're thinking about are often thrillers of some genre. Cause you're or or a romance. Well, because you it's it's a little different from a beach read. I think for yeah. a beach read, you want something a little shorter, maybe, yep. and maybe a little you know a little sexier. For an airport book, you want something big because you're going to be doing a lot of waiting, and the last thing you want to do is run out of book like halfway through a cross country yeah. flight. Yeah. But you also want it to be page turning. You probably don't want your brain to be working that hard because you're like jet lagged or you got up at 5 a.m. So you could make it through the TSA line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 its own specific type of book that I think you're looking for. Yeah, I'd, I'd say this fits it. So we, we yeah. will we will talk about the plot and its characters. And as we go through it after the break, just think about how nice it would be to read this book as you give yourself over to like three different airports right, in one as day. You like, <laughs> as you fly over Kansas <laughs> on your way to a business meeting. Yeah. All right, Andrew, let's take a break and then I'll tell you about the firm. Okay. Craig, if you were looking for a lawyer to represent you, 
you would probably want to read some reviews, right? You would want to know you're getting a good lawyer who's going to get you a good TV-worthy defense. I'm not going to walk down the street yelling, I need a lawyer. I need to do some mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. Not like you do in the olden times. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, you'd also want to do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment. With ZocDoc, you can see real verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more important, than finding the right lawyer. (laughs) Uh, You can read up on local doctors on ZocDoc, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Uh, Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit, just like that, you're booked, Craig. Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> you find a doctor that's right for you book an appointment that works for your schedule um i've used zocdoc to schedule dentist appointments and eye exams i need to use them to find a new uh general practitioner in my neighborhood now that we've moved um and i i like that you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out a lot of that paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room uh so go to zocdoc.com slash overdue and download the zocdoc app for free then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash overdue. ZocDoc dot com slash overdue. What do you think about lawyers, Andrew? How often do you encounter them? How often do you think about them? I encounter them almost never, which is probably a pretty privileged position to to be <laughs> sure. in in society. But I think you know, you it's it takes all kinds. You got your you know you got your Saul Goodman bus bench lawyer types yep. or chasing ambulances. You got your guys who stare down at you from big billboards yep. as you drive down seventy six, yep. who are all promising to help you get what you deserve if you slip at work. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But also, you know, when you are, when, when, if somebody ever comes at you and you need help finding a lawyer who you feel like is in your corner, yeah. I think can be a very comforting thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I like know a few that do either like not necessarily public defense work, but like public interest work, kind of nonprofity, taking it to inadequate governments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly met a few on nonprofit boards that I've worked with. Um, but yeah, this is like, I'm not hanging out with high powered corporate lawyers and like, no, they, I also think that prosecutors are cops. Well, there's, mostly. that's a, that's a whole separate thing. And, but this is a nonpartisan book podcast, yeah. so I'm not going <laughs> to, not, not going to wait. Sorry, out you can't that. even say cops here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, th- what makes this book interesting, even to start from of just as a legal thriller is there are good guys and there are bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good ish guy, his wife, who seems like a good person. And then there's a bunch of guys, most of whom are bad. Uh, Would you say that in the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups? Is that something that you'd say? Um, I I mean, I could say that. I don't. It wouldn't necessarily be germane to this book, but I could say mm-hmm. that. Okay. Unless the unless the separate but equal groups are the FBI and the bad guys. <laughs> well, no, they're the police who investigate crime and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which which party is the dun dun? <laughs> I think the dun dun comes at the end oh. after the complete summary of the system <laughs> okay. and the people. <laughs> um, so all this to say is that there is not a there's not there's not a criminal trial that happens in this book. There is not a um, prosecutorial or defense angle at all. It is the machinations of this mostly tax firm in Memphis, Tennessee. They got Al Capone for tax fraud. Well, tax yeah. stuff can be more thrilling we're than gonna, you might think that it would be. We're going to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. Al Capone's not in this book, but we're going to talk about it. Now, I would hope, I should hope not. They got him. They already. did. They did get him. <laughs> I think um, he was a settled issue by the time this book came out. So this book is about a guy named Mitch, Mitchell McDeer. He goes by Mitch. <laughs> No, his name is Mitchell McDeer. I tried to be, I don't know why I tried to be Jeez. informal with him first, but his name, he goes by Mitch. Um, okay. And he is a, he's just a super smart, super lawyer, third in his class in Harvard. He's got a wife named Abby. I like that. That's, that's what you do to make him relatable is he's not top of his class. He was third in his yeah, class. He's, he's still pretty in- smart. He's still pretty smart, but you could get a beer with them. Yeah. That's, he's third in his class. He did do his undergrad at like a, like a local college in, in Kentucky. I think he and his wife did. She's a teacher. They live up in the Harvard area. He's interviewing for jobs at various firms. He's been, he's been to a few, interviews uh, on wall street at the big firms and the big city Mm -hmm. and uh the big the thing you need to know about mitch is that he doesn't really have a lot like to his name um because he went to law school well no it's (laughs) oh my god andrew there's a part where he says he's like i've got twenty eight thousand dollars in debt or something and i just Mm -hmm. my brain exploded <laughs> i'm sure in 1991 that felt like a lot of money yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. but he's yeah he's got student debt his his dad is either dead or gone i don't remember his mom um is living with someone in florida she's not in a good way one of his brothers is dead and his other brother is in jail uh for manslaughter i think um he doesn't have a lot. They live in a small apartment and and they've been putting off ever buying a house and all sorts of obviously because he's in law school he doesn't know where he's going to go but um the the thing you need to know is that he's from a rough background and he doesn't have a, a lot of money. So mm-hmm, but he's still a smarty pants. But he's such a smarty pants. Um so he goes to this interview at Bendini Lambert and Locke. Mm-hmm. Uh the book refers to the full name of the firm a bajillion times bendini lambert oh, really? and they Locke. don't they don't do a bll or something no like... every time bendini lambert and Locke. Jeez. okay um it is this smaller firm there's only about 40 active lawyers there about half of them are partner i don't really i don't i don't really understand what it means to become partner i understand that people want it i think it, it means that you have you have like equity in the company. Is that like what it, is own, that all it means? Yes. Yeah, that is what being a partner means. If and being a named partner means that you get to be part of Benito. Do you Lock you know all this because of the good fight and the good wife? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I do because this is like this is most of what the good wife is about. <laughs> okay, just checking. Mm-hmm. Um that makes sense. I just hadn't really ever thought about it until I was reading this book and being like, I guess I 
didn't really ever think about what that meant. Um, yeah, because no, you want to make partner, so you have equity in the company, and then also my understanding again from the good wife is so you can assign all of your work to people who are not partners. Yeah, that, <laughs> yes, true. Okay, great. Um, so this firm, Benini Lambert and Locke, they want to hire him. They have seen his tests, uh, and he hasn't passed the bar yet. They're gonna, you know, if he accepts the job with with them, they're gonna like pay him uh, a salary. And is that wa- how that works? They could they could hire him before he's a lawyer. He would basically be like a, a- <laughs> he would basically be a paralegal. <laughs> okay, um, sure. Okay, he, sure, just, sure, he sure. couldn't practice law. He couldn't go to a client and be mm-hmm. a lawyer. A paralegal like a paratrooper is a yeah. lawyer with wings. Who goes up and down so yeah, he can uh-huh. fly. <laughs> um, and so they make this pitch to him. They're they're small. Nobody really knows who they are. Again, they only have like 40 people, which is not a lot compared to a lot of people. They claim that they have zero turnover year to year. There's like no mm-hmm. burnout. People don't leave. Mm-hmm. And they're offering him not only like, I don't remember what the salary is. It's like something like 80 grand. And he says, oh, it's 80 grand because he tells his wife a bunch of times, that's 120 in New York dollars. And it's like, uh, <laughs> sort of, I get He's what you're wrong, though. Yeah. Um, they're also offering to pay his to like help him get a house, and they will pay his. They will like take the mortgage loan at a very low Dang. interest rate. They're going to give him a fancy new BMW, uh, and eventually they also offer to help him with his with his student loans. This is the most generous employer that I've ever heard of in all of my born days. Yeah, I it was one of those things that they make a big pitch about it, and he. You know, they've done a lot of research on him into into not only just like what you might learn about a student, but it's clear they've done a little extra research. He's done a little extra research on them. So when he's negotiating salary stuff, he like tosses, he gets a little prickly and like tosses some uh, details about the guys that he's interviewing. Um, and one of the guys who's running the interview is like, how did he know? Did he read dossiers on all 40 of us? And memorized all of them because he didn't know who was going to interview him. He's a genius. It's like, yeah, okay, he's very smart. <laughs> um, and so he winds up taking this job, and he he's going to move down to Tennessee, uh, which is closer to his wife's family. Andrew, uh oh, they don't like him because he's because he's poor, and okay. he doesn't like them because they're rich. And she's like, I sort of love my family. I feel like his his law job where they're going to pay for his car and his house and pay him a New York hundred twenty thousand yeah. dollars a year in nineteen ninety one dollars is gonna pretty much fix the poorness issue. Yeah, I think I think that's Abby's hope. Um, he is obviously they're both kind of salty that the parents just you know declined to attend the wedding that sort of mm-hmm. like. Whoa, that's yeah. pretty... Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad. That's like we're not speaking for very important personal reasons. Yeah. Behavior. Uh-huh. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yikes in this book. There's a lot of mm-hmm. just uh, white people kind <laughs> of being amazed that non-white people exist in this book. Like, it's never a focal point of the book. Um but there's just the way that some of these characters just perceive uh, any character of color around them, especially when they're coming back and forth from the Cayman Islands and do all you, of a sudden characters you, are saying Mon and it's like, you know, that kind of stuff. 
do you get a sense that any of that is is coming from Grisham's experience as like a, a lawyer and and lawmaker in the American South? Like, is there think, what sense of his perspective as an author do you get? It from seems that? to come with an air of critique, an air of like, yeah, this is their world, and it kind of that's it sucks that this is the way they perceive it and cultivate it. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I got a, I got an airport story to tell, but like <laughs> one of the things that I gotta go return a book for half as much money <laughs> as I paid for it. One of the things that McDear notes about this firm is that there are no employees of color. There mm-hmm. has only ever been one woman hired by the firm. And some of the men at the firm are very quick to tell you that uh, that was a bad idea. Um, well, it's a meritoc. It's a meritocracy, obviously. Well, she's dead, um, mm-hmm. as of a few years prior to the events of the of the story, um, mm-hmm. and she was in a car accident. But it would have okay. They say that it would have been if she had, you know, caused trouble, which maybe she was causing trouble. They say um, it would have been hard to fire her for you know PC reasons. Is there? Uh, is there? There's also a lot of inks built in this book about how the firm hired a bunch of unattractive secretaries so that the the lawyers don't fool around. Okay. Um and in retrospect, the part the early parts of this book where I'm like what is happening here <laughs> are really setting up um the the wackiness that is that is behind the 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 heart of this book. So early on, Andrew, the first week of the job, Mitch McDear accepts the job and he goes down there and literally like the day before his first day, I think two of the lawyers uh, from the firm, one of them is named Kaczynski. I can't remember the other one. Hodge and Kaczynski. Mm-hmm. They die. Okay. This, that sounds like a fun Franklin and Bash. Yeah. Buddy show. Uh-huh. That I would watch. They die in a scuba accident in the Caymans. This <laughs> is the most white people way to die. <laughs> and this is like his and first week. He's made one friend with one of the other guys. The guy's clearly sad because he helped mentor these people. Um, and I was like, wow, that's going to be a mystery, huh? No, the book cuts to like people who work at the firm being like, well, they were talking to the FBI, weren't they? Huh. Just make sure no one finds out, I guess. Like, very quickly, Grisham... I watched an interview where Grisham was surprised by how page turn. He claims he was surprised by how page-turnery and thrillery people found this book because mm-hmm. he just, like, wanted to tell a cool story that he thought was interesting. And I... This was the thing that crystallized that for me because he's like, I told, I gave you the clues. They're evil. They're bad people. I told you up front. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so the rest of the book is you're kind of like, okay, so the firm is bad. How bad is it? What are sure. they? What are they willing to do? And how can our protagonists change it from the inside? Yeah, if he if he chooses to, right? Because mm-hmm. he's like out here, like I'm just gonna make partner at this cool firm, I'm gonna earn a bunch of money. Um, oh wow, it's kind of weird how I have to work a bajillion hours and then I have to pass the bar and that kind of sucks. And I did go down to the Caymans with my with the guy I'm assigned to, Avery, and he's a a jerk. 
Um, and when I was at the bar, this woman picked me up, and I got r- really drunk, and I think we had sex. Uh oh, Mitch. And that <laughs> wasn't that <laughs> wasn't supposed to happen. Um, Boy, Mitch. So you're lo- you're losing me, Mitch. Well, he also when he goes to the funeral, Andrew, he notices that there are three plaques commemorating other dead attorneys from the firm. One why of them. Does this, why is this attorney? Ha- why is this firm have such a high body count? The woman died in a car crash. Uh-huh. There was a guy who died in an unsolved hunting accident. And another guy committed suicide in his office. Now, of course, that is the office that they give Mitch first. Right. Which is, yes. you know. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's free. Yeah. So <laughs> Mitch is a little like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and he hires this ex-cop that his brother knows from prison called Eddie Lomax to investigate the firm. Lomax does not make it to the end of the book. Spoiler alert. He definitely he gets offed by the firm like a little ways into the book. But So it's an evil killer law firm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> an FBI this, this is thrilling. I'm thrilled. An FBI guy named Wayne Terrence comes up to Mitch at a diner. These names are just killing me. <laughs> and Terrence comes up to Mitch and he's like, Hey, new guy, we're watching the firm. You should be careful. Not the film. He, they're they're in the story. Right. We're no, watching, the film didn't exist yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, we're watching the firm. You could. You should probably be careful. But if you wanted to talk to us, like it would be cool. And Mitch goes to the firm, and he's like, "The FBI tried to talk to me. What's going on here, guys?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't tell him anything. They're like, "Well, they're just fishing. You know, we deal with a lot of people's money, and they want to bust us, and so they're looking for any excuse." Yeah, you know. and we're just a we're just a good upstanding law firm. Now, where a lot of people die of their own volition, and we uh-huh. don't have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do learn after the Cayman trip, and I'm I think there are probably some other scenes where you learn some of this as well. You know, sorry, I don't really think of the Cayman Islands as being a physical place that you go to. I think of them as being a fictional place <laughs> where you keep money that you don't want to be taxed. Well, this book supposes why not both, Andrew. Okay, sure. Because um, he goes down there with Avery to deal with some, you know, money stuff. And he gets a little whiff of like, maybe this is not above board, but he can't, you know, he can't prove anything. Um, and or his, uh, his, his suspicions aren't really firm. Not yet. No. At this point, they're still pretty soft. Yeah, they're pretty soft. Um mm-hmm. But we learn after the the Cayman trip and some other things, um, yeah. That Cayman the the lady who slept with him hired by the firm. They have photos. Uh oh. You know how they helped him. You know how they helped him get a a sick house, Andrew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's bugged. You know how they got him it's a bugged. car. Mm-hmm. It's bugged. Also bugged. Oh boy. Who has time to listen to all these tapes in the late eighties? <laughs> There's no software to like run this through. It's unbelievable. And it's just kind of like I mean, maybe maybe it's a, it's a like a Seven Eleven security camera situation. Like we we have them. If we want to go back to them it's, to confirm or deny suspicions later, we're going to go back. But we, we don't have like a full-time tape guy. That is mostly how it fun- sort of functions as like Nixon tapes, where it's like the recorder's always going. 
Mm-hmm. We can always check the record if we're suspicious. Mm-hmm. When I realized that they were surveilling him, I'm like, this is absurd. How could they ever sort through this information? Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes clear later they only do this to like the new guys for the most because part. Because they got to check to see if they're solid or if they're firm even. Well, and <laughs> especially with the Cayman things, like they're just collecting dirt on you that they can use later if you ever try to if leave the firm. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't have a turnover rate, Andrew. Man, I I just w- I wish that just once when I heard about a workplace with 0% turnover, <laughs> it was because they had like a 4-day work week or something and not that they no were like evil like you know just evil and they had they had all the dirt on you that existed in the whole world these guys yeah. work like a bajillion hours they don't mm-hmm. sleep it's actually you almost, you, know, you almost have to give it to them no <laughs> you almost have to hand it to there them. are there are guys working for the firm like tailing him around memphis um, his wife is is like kind of hates the fact that he works all the time. It takes him a little ways into the book before he actually kind of tells his wife what's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's after he has already had multiple conversations with the FBI. Um, I did appreciate. I liked the character Abby. Um, overall, Abby is his wife. His wife, yeah. Okay. And and one of the reasons I just I like her is that she's actually like given stuff to do in this book. He enlists her as a partner in some of the schemes that he ends up coming up with. Um they go on lots of long It's very cute. They go on lots of long walks outside cuz there's no recording devices. <laughs> they have a dog named uh, the, Hearsay. The smartphone era. They have a dog named Hearsay? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty good. I like it. Um, you just have to call your dog that all the time is the only thing. Come here, hearsay. That's actually yeah. tough to say. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes on a trip to D.C. for some tax nonsense, and he ends up at, I think it's, I guess it's the Vietnam War Memorial, if that's there at this point, because that's where one of his brothers died in Nam. I think in the 90s it, it would have been. Because this this whole scene, yeah, go ahead, look that up. Because it's like a big part of the setting for this but scene. You, you can keep going. Yeah, dedicated in nineteen ninety three, so it, it wouldn't have well, been. Yeah, fin- maybe it was I wonder the Korean. if it, I wonder if it would have been partially built at that point. Yeah, right? I don't remember how it's depicted in the book, but he goes there, and uh, the FBI has set up a meeting. He literally sits down with the director of the FBI. Oh wait, this this says okay. This other thing says it's completed in nineteen eighty two. Okay, the wall, like oh, the big the, wall with all oh, the names. The yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the director of the FBI is like, let me level with you, bud. At this point, I think Eddie Lomax has been killed. So we already know mm-hmm. that they're, this firm is willing to murder people. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, Andrew? The, the, the guy from the FBI is like, hey, you know, those people who died, they were going to talk to us. What do you think the firm is up to? It's a tax firm, Andrew. I mean, it's probably just like money nonsense, right? Yeah. It's Operation Laundromat is what the FBI calls it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it's a front for the mob. <laughs> Great. It's the mob. The, mor- the, the monolithic mob. <laughs> the Moralto <Great>. family. <laughs> okay. 
and they specifically recruit talented lawyers from meager backgrounds so they can blackmail I love their, them. I love their tortellini. Yep. They Moralto? Moralto. Moralto. Delicious. Has a has like a penciled sketch of an old lady with a rolling pin on it. I can just see it in my head. <laughs> Um, and they they hire these lawyers of limited means so that they can blackmail them into working there for their career. After a few years, they let them in on the scheme, and then they're and then by that point, they have handled dirty money. So if they're so if they ever try to leave, they're complicit. You gotta unionize this place, my dude. <laughs> so this this is when the surveillance state Stepford wife element like made sense to me because they're also like you got to have a happy wife because happy lawyer happy life well like, happy happy wife happy yeah. life yeah like obviously. you got to have you got to have babies that they, they make a lot about the fact that the firm is like you should have a baby at one point Andrew the firm like the guy the security guys who are not lawyers one of them's Russian um, who's working for the Italians and he's like hey I need I'm gonna sneak someone into their house and swap out her birth control with placebos because we need leverage. Like, my dude, you have naked photos of him on the beach. That's your leverage. Yeah. Yeah, these guys are twisted. Yeah. Uh, jokers. They're a bunch, real bunch jokers. of real jokers. And so McDeer is now going to work with the FBI. The whole middle part of the book is like him mostly cooperating with the FBI, trying to negotiate a deal with them where he gets like money and he gets his brother out of jail. Um, and they're going to protect him. The firm knows he's working with, he, they think he's working with them, but they can't quite put it all together. Um, and then there's just a period of the book that's all about making copies. It's just <laughs> so many discussions of elaborate copy machines and all of the documents. I did like there's a whole scene where um, McDeer has hired Eddie Lomax's former employee slash lover, Tammy, and she goes down to the Caymans with Abby. They get uh, they kind of drug Avery, the other lawyer guy, and then like steal his keys and then steal a bunch of documents and have this overnight copy spree. <laughs> and then this is thrilling. Bring I'm all the documents back again. home. Once again, I'm thrilled uh, by the happenings. Yep. Uh, and th- I like that scene because it's Mitch isn't actually involved. And even though maybe he helped plan it, like he can't do it all himself. I kind of like that part. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and he's basically he's got a U-Haul truck full of ten thousand documents, and he convinces the FBI director to get his brother out of jail, which involves like an inside job prison break. And then the firm kills their FBI inform or no, they have an FBI informant, and then the FBI catches the informant. And so the firm knows that McDeer's working with the FBI. You know, you should definitely do when you know that the FBI is on to you is just like start indiscriminately piling up bodies. <laughs> that seems real. That seems really sound yeah. to me for a bunch of lawyers. Because Yeah. And their plan is they're going to kill McDeer in a, in a plane crash or something. They try to get him to go to the Caymans, but he doesn't so go. They can crash a whole plane. They're going to kill multiple pilots to take this dude out. It's absurd. <laughs> Do the pilots know? No. (laughs) And there's one meeting where the partner's like, but the Learjet. And he's like, yeah, dude. 
bye bye Learjet. <laughs> um, <laughs> this book sounds preposterous. It's very preposterous. The the I don't, last. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't swing that word around lightly. I, <laughs> but it sounds preposterous, which also seems like is probably part of the fun. Yes. Yeah. Um. The the last like you know run of the book is McDeer. I think that he was always going to do this, but he kind of justifies it by saying to the FBI, like, listen, one of your dudes got, like, murked, and you have informants in your system. Like, I can't trust you to keep me safe if I come into, like, witness protection. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to run. And so he has this whole plan. The whole last part of the book is them, like, you know, flitting between different hotels under assumed identities, finally before they can get a boat to go to the Caymans. Um, his brother does have to kill one of the assassins <laughs> and they get away. <laughs> they they made friends with the dad of the scuba instructor who also died when the two lawyers got killed. And he's like, I can't believe they killed my son. And then they become friends. And then he helps them at the end. Um, <laughs> and he he films 16 hours of himself on a camcorder uh, walking through all the documents so that the FBI can go to a grand jury and get search warrants and like do a big Rico case. Uh, and then he, he and his family escape to the Caymans and they have a great time. Uh, that's the firm. That's I, the firm. It sounds incredible <laughs> it's it's oddly and I, and, I, fun. and I mean that in both of the it sounds like a fun read sense and the like i am rendered incredulous by <laughs> by <laughs> what you've just described to me yeah i will say there are times where like you know what at the top of the show you were talking about the the clancy I'm going to talk about guns stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the, the completely invented stuff about Tom Clancy books that I assume to be true. <laughs> and for purposes of this communication, we're going to be assuming are true. I think there, there is something to this style of book um, where there's a certain amount of verisimilitude that is drove for vocab word that is strived for. Mm-hmm. To lend the thriller part like a little extra, like this is in the real world, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where so like Tammy is set up. I like Tammy a lot. I like Tammy as as a character in this book because she has some like revenge stakes. She has some I just want to get paid stakes. She does feel like she could actually be in danger and it wouldn't like she doesn't have plot armor like things could happen to her. Right. Um, sure. Well, and, and, uh, that's that's one benefit of doing mostly standalones like yeah. Grisham does is like nobody has plot armor because yep. nobody has to come back. Yep. It's kind of great. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's really, I, I like her a lot. She's very charming. Um, she is getting this copier for McDeer so he can start making copies to prove the FBI that he has access making and copy. uh, she's getting it delivered. Um, and the guy comes in and he says, it's a mighty big copier for this place. We're talking 90 copies a minute with a collator and automatic feed. It's a big machine. Where do I sign? She asked, ignoring the small talk. Six months at two forty a month. That includes service and maintenance and five hundred sheets of paper for the first two months. You want legal or letter sized? First payment due on the tenth. I mean, it's a it's and, a law firm, so she wants legal sized, yeah. obviously. And it's like if you print anything, if you print on any other size of paper in a law firm, you've printed it <laughs> illegally. There's a whole other 
section about copiers where the law firm has installed new networked copiers where you have to punch in codes that go to each client account so that you yeah, can right. bill so you know for how to all charge the- them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's presented as this big like thing that McDeer has to circumvent so that they don't know he's making, you know, bad copies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of details about the copies <laughs> yeah. that really threaten to bog the book down. He does. But I'm, I'm sure that Grisham is like, this is just my life, man. Like I know more about, I yeah. have forgotten more about copiers than you will ever know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and then there's the, the only other like kind of style thing that's in the language that I wanted to shout out is there's some lingo that gets tossed around, mostly among the the lawyers and the criminals. Um, and this guy Devasher, who's the security head for the firm, he's not a lawyer. He's played by Wilford Brimley in the movie. Sounds like a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> this just tell me what word jumps out to you here, Andrew. Okay. Um, think along with me, and let's just suppose Hodge and Kaczynski fed them enough to confirm the identity of this particular client. See where I'm going? And let's suppose the Fibbies have told McDeer all they know, along with a certain amount of embellishment. Suddenly, your ignorant recruit is a very smart man and a very dangerous one. Is Fibbies FBI because of F- the... What's Fibbies? Fibbies is FBI. Now, is I... Is that the word that you were hoping I yes. would pick out? Yes. Okay. Fibbies is FBI... I've watched a lot of baseball and people call RBI uh, ribbies. ribbies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. But uh, <laughs> the only people the, the book, fib, the word fibbies occurs in the book at least like 15 or 20 times. Um, the only people who use the word are the criminals and the lawyers, the, the evil lawyers. Okay. Mm. At the end of the book, they're on the pier before they've gotten on their boat to head away to the Caymans. It's Ray it's Abby and it's Mitch. They've just killed a guy, I think, mm-hmm. or they're mm-hmm. about to kill a guy. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering who is on these other boats that are surveilling them. And Abby, the school teacher who's on mm-hmm. the run with her lawyer husband, mm-hmm. goes, do you think they're mafia or fibbies? And no one in the book has said the word fibbies to her this entire <laughs> time. <laughs> It was Abby. It was Abby all along. <laughs> it's such a funny moment. I don't know because like Mitch doesn't ever say it, so I'm not. I can't even like extend the book like generosity to say, oh, oh he's maybe just saying fibbies at home. I mean, you you said that Abby has her own stuff that she gets up to. Yeah, maybe, maybe you don't see every. Maybe you don't see Good every point. minute of it. Good point. Um, that's the you're, that's fair point. She's a she's a smart cookie. Um, and then the last like style thing, I think. What helps this book move, even when it's really bogged down in copier details, is that Grisham will do a chapter break and a scheme will already be happening. And yeah, then I mean, it sounds like the schemes are just sprouting all over the place. Yes. They're like, they're like crabgrass in my backyard. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Um, and so, like, you get the fun of. Oh well, what what is their plan here? Like, it's particularly the Cayman adventure with Abby and Tammy. We there's no scene where Mitch says, "Hey, I need you to go to the Caymans and steal these documents." We just jump to that scene and we learn about the plan as it's unfolding. So it's very cinematic. Um, 
and it it helps the book kind of propel itself and it's a, it's a way for him to stay a little bit ahead of you without actually having to come up with a bunch of mysteries um so if that that would be a thing that would keep me reading if i was like waiting for my flight i'd be in the middle of a scene being like wait why is this happening yeah <laughs> oh wait i gotta change gates oh no i know um <laughs> is there anything from the reviews that you saw andrew that you just like want to make sure or get my reaction to or anything that we haven't covered not real. I couldn't find a lot of like contemporary reviews for this book. I I do wonder if that's because it's the f- the second novel of somebody whose first novel didn't do very well. Yeah, yeah. most re- if if you're looking for contemporary reviews of the firm as a work, you will mostly find reviews of the reviews film, reviews of the of the movie. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, I just I just did I did want to make sure that. We talked about how somebody called this his first book because his actual <laughs> first book had done so bad. This is also a thing that happened with Fountains of Wayne, the Stacy's mom band. Yeah. And the year that Stacy's mom came out is they won like some a breakthrough uh, best, best, new, best artist. new artist oh, no. award. And they're like, no, we've been like, we've been around for like eight years. This is our third album. Whatever, man. There's a thing in Rip and Peace, Adam Schlesinger. In the nonprofit arts community where people are often they win awards and they're called emerging artists. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they've been working for fifteen years. They're but that's like, still they're still emerging. You from know? what? From a, the chrysalis of, of mediocrity <laughs> that they've been encased in for all these years. So many people and are now, like... And now, and now they're emerging. So many people I know have been like, I'm not emerging. I'm here. Just please. But, you're, but you're emerging. People haven't seen you before. Now you're emerging. You're crawling out from under the bush and God. and showing everybody what you got. You know, this, this seems this is way less confusing for me than it is for you. Okay. <laughs> well thanks for letting they me. don't they, they pick the word emerging specifically because the word new would be inaccurate yeah. so often yeah yeah you're emerging from the scene i would love to distinguish yourself i would love for someone to win an emerging artist award for a work that is like explicitly about crawling into a hole like that would be mm-hmm. pretty fun mm-hmm that's an idea out there for all you performance artists um, i would like for there to be awards for driving on a busy highway oh. really good and they call it the, the merging awards what if you were really good at driving in a video game and mm-hmm. you changed lanes and you were emerging mm. <laughs> <laughs> i think you mean demerging check it out mom emerge over here <laughs> all right thanks andrew for letting me tell you about the firm it's a silly mm-hmm. book i had a good time with it Mm-hmm. Um, if folks at home, if you know a good lawyer, you want to email us. <laughs> and I don't. And listen, they've got to they, they've got to be they've got to be a good lawyer. Like no clandestine deaths, like no fibbies, no none of yep. this. Like don't send us any of this narc stuff. Yeah, it's got to be good lawyers, please. Good lawyers, Real Phoenix Wright types. Um, send us an email with their information. Uh, overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up in Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Nicole, Lisa, Robert, Nancy, Shelby, Joe, Sam, Shauna, and many more for reaching out to us in the past few weeks. Uh, our theme song is composed by Nick Lorangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? 
Overduepodcast.com is our internet website up there. We have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read, including our full schedule for whatever month you happen to be listening to this episode in. Uh, this is the end of August, but I think, we, do we have our September schedule ready to I could to read it to you right now, Andrew. That would be that would be wonderful if the, you could do that. We're going to start off with The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta, then uh, the novelization of Con Air, I think. Yes! Um, another patron's choice. Another patron's episode choice. Episode where the, pro- the prompt was movies, novelizations of movies that came out in the year 1997. Yeah, that's that one is an import, <laughs> a used import book. So if, if it doesn't arrive in time, we may swap uh, with uh, the next week's book, A House of Pomegranates by Oscar Wilde. Then closing out the month with Among Others by Joe Walton, and then we'll have some more Goosebumps on the main feed. But Andrew, if folks want their Goosebumps now, dang it, what do they do? Patreon.com slash OverduePod, our Patreon project. Get access to our Discord server, get access to bonus episode recordings, get access to whatever long read we happen to be doing. At any given time in the past, we've done the Odyssey, uh, Arabian Nights, uh, Dante's Inferno, the whole thing of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Don Quixote for what felt like just three, at least three years. Yep. Multiple uh, a lot Sallies. Of love fun books. Yeah, a lot of Sallies, a lot of repetition, but also a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. Yeah. Patreon.com slash pod. <laughs> That's it. Is that it? We good? All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until we thrill you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.